0: So NASA was the pioneer of uh, telehealth. They had to figure out how to take care of astronauts and uh, in space. So they pioneered telehealth and and this is what started. And we have multiple tools today uh, that come under the umbrella of telehealth.
1: Hello, I'm David Gillen with Sodexo where I oversee client experience, strategy, and our channel partnerships. I'm your host for today's Powering Human Care podcast series, where we will review the state of telehealth and specifically talk about telenutrition and discuss how Sodexo is working alongside its clients to help patients equitably access care. Joining me today is Julie Branham. Julie is an experienced registered dietitian with a demonstrated history of working on-site at hospitals to improve patient and community health by developing and implementing services and healthful patient meals. She is a passionate ally for patients and nutrition. Thanks for joining me today, Julie. Now, I always like to begin these discussions by helping our listeners get to know you a little bit. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your background and your journey?
0: Absolutely. Thank you, David, for having me. It's exciting to be here and to share my knowledge and expertise around telehealth and telenutrition. Um, I've been in healthcare for 34 years professionally, and um, it really started my passion for healthcare when I was 14 years old. Um, My mom suggested that I go to the local hospital and apply to be a volunteer. A volunteer is what it was called at the time. And I really um, loved working in the culture. I loved working with the nurses and, and helping sick people. And that really fueled my passion, really, for everything I have done in my career. And I was able to um, work as a direct dietitian, uh, giving delivering uh, direct patient care. I have worked in a, as a leader in a healthcare organization, leading food and nutrition services, And I've worked with healthcare organizations, their leadership to build business plans and develop um, plans so that they can grow their their businesses and service lines to improve patient care. And I will say that, um, you know, the first time that I encountered telehealth, um, I was at a moderate acuity hospital on the east side of Atlanta. um, And... Our hospital had a room outside of the ER where the physicians, uh, the specialists would bring their their patients who couldn't travel, they couldn't be transported to the larger trauma centers and I just thought this was outstanding. I thought it was outstanding patient care. It was brilliant. And ever since that time, you know, really telehealth, telenutrition has been very intriguing to me and what we can do with it.
1: Thanks for that Julie. You know, this term volunteer, as much as I've been around hospitals similar to you, I've been in hospitals about 33 years or in healthcare uh, starting very early and volunteering. I never heard the term volunteer. So that's that's a new one. And I can imagine seeing telehealth back in 1997 and then comparing that to 2023, a lot of differences. So thank you for giving us a glimpse of of your background. I think that helps our audience a lot, sort of gives them perspective on what what you're gonna share on this podcast. I'm wondering though, if if you could start here from the beginning, um, looking back at that nineteen ninety-seven experience in Atlanta, uh, and fast forward for us and tell us really what is what does telehealth mean?
0: Well, telehealth is and sometimes and some people utilize the term telemedicine. It's the same but telehealth is is delivering care through telecommunications and telecommunications by definition and and there has to be a distance between the provider and the patient now initially it was established in and really thought to be long distance but what's changed in even 2020 um and and the onset of COVID is that it really doesn't have to be long distance. You know, it could truly be across the street. It could truly be just across the city. It doesn't necessarily have to be hundreds of miles um, away to reach a patient, uh, reaching out to uh, a um, a provider uh, to, to get their care. So NASA was the pioneer of uh, telehealth. They had to figure out how to take care of astronauts and, uh, in space. So they pioneered telehealth and and this is what started. And we have multiple tools today uh, that come under the umbrella of telehealth. So we can consider audio visual um, interactions as part of telehealth. My dad was in the hospital not long ago. And each morning, a nurse from another location would come on the monitor on his TV and ask him um, the daily assessment questions. She would ask him, is, is there anything that, I, that you need right now? And do I need to call your nurse for you? And then she'd be gone. So that's that live video interaction between a patient and a, um, and a provider. And then there is the type of tool that is used, was called, we call it store and forward. So a patient would go to an outpatient facility, for instance, and they would have um, <clears throat> their x-ray done, and then that would be read by a radiologist, and then it would be sent over to the primary care physician. So that's store and forward. And then there is remote patient uh, monitoring and that's when the patients are sending back data to a, um, a provider. Um, it could be their vital signs. It could be blood pressure. It could be their weight. Um, I remember being a child and my grandparents had uh, pacemakers. And quite frankly, I remember my, my grandmother picking up the phone from the cardiologist's office and she would put that receiver to her pacemaker and it would send the data. So that's remote patient monitoring. And today we have um, uh, smartphones and apps that we're using for telehealth as well. And we're pushing information. We're pushing education, tidbits of information. We're um, helping people to as reminders. So for instance, if we have a heart failure patient and they are post-discharge, we're sending them a message to say, hey, it's time for you to weigh yourself, and we don't want you to be uh, retaining fluids. So send, weigh yourself, send that information back to us, and we're going to monitor you. So those are the type of tools that are used under telehealth and, and what we're using for telenutrition as well.
1: Wow, Julie, it's, it's amazing to think about. You covered live video, store and forward, which is a new term for, for me. Remote patient monitoring, mobile health, which probably most of our audience are familiar with, and then the remote communication technology-based uh, e-visits and such—you uh, know, quite a difference. And when you think of your reference back to NASA and how this all began, it feels a, a little bit like Buzz Lightyear, you know, to infinity and beyond, as they say. So, listening to you describe the space and really give the different platforms how do you then sort of delineate what is telenutrition and how it's different from telehealth specifically
0: well it's not different david it is telehealth is the overarching term that is used to deliver healthcare telenutrition is really just stating what are we delivering. We are delivering nutrition care, nutrition um, counseling. We are delivering and assessing patients um, at a distance. So that is really telenutrition. We're just being more specific about um, what we're describing for the, for the service.
1: So that's really helpful, Julie. Telenutrition really isn't a new concept, as, as I heard it, but it's one that's gained a certain popularity that was born from necessity at the outset of this global pandemic that that we're just hopefully exiting. So, with the pandemic in mind, can you tell us what telenutrition was like before COVID nineteen, and then what it's like now? Is there a contrast, a before and after that's that's different?
0: Yes, there truly is. You know, before COVID, there were regulations. And there were guidelines, and there there were challenges with delivering telehealth. So there were the rules were that the patient had to be in an originating site, and and as part of that, there had to be a healthcare professional shortage where the patient was located. The converse to that is that the provider, whether it was a physician or a nurse or a dietitian, had to be in a physical space that met the criteria. And that had to be a hospital. It had to be um, a critical care hospital or a skilled nursing facility or a clinic. So they had to be in a specific place and the patient had to be in a specific place. And this created barriers. It created barriers for healthcare organizations to really set up an efficient uh, way to deliver telehealth. Also around that, healthcare administrators um, were a little hesitant to adopt um, telehealth primarily because they weren't sure about the uh, privacy of the information information. And they weren't sure about the safety. They weren't sure about the effectiveness. Is it gonna be the same as a visit, a a one-on-one visit? And and will we get the same outcomes that we believe that we're getting in that one-on-one care? So there were these barriers. There was the acceptance levels by the the, um, healthcare organizations to really fund it and put it into place and reach those people. And then came along COVID and the Public Health Emergency Act, and it lifted those barriers. So the healthcare organizations now were going to get reimbursed through telehealth and those visits in the same way that they would in a one-on-one visit. So the barriers were lifted and we were able to accept it and move it forward and progress progress it quickly. So COVID, we had a lot of disadvantages to COVID, but quite frankly, this is one of the positive things that came out of COVID. It really pushed people to utilize this technology and to reach people who needed healthcare.
1: Julie, I I completely understand where you're coming from. This this sort of necessity, right, breeds innovation. And I hear you talking about just that experience through the pandemic and The reluctance of some to participate because of privacy concerns or would the outcomes be the same? And I think you're exactly right. The acceptance really uh, moved much more quickly throughout the pandemic. I think of that Public Health Emergency Act a lot like I think of the emergency use authorization where hospitals were able to use different types of products because they didn't have access to what they were most accustomed to using. So really it created a whole sense of community among healthcare providers and willingness to push the boundaries a bit. And for consumers, patients, this certainly gave them better access, easier access, and safer access. Can you sort of unpack that a little bit for us and get into the nitty gritty of of how does telenutrition actually work?
0: Well, when a patient um, knows that they need to have nutrition counseling or they need to have that interaction, and when let's think about this on an outpatient or a clinic um, type of uh, service, they're going to connect uh, with a person that's going to schedule them. It's no different than scheduling an outpatient one-on-one visit. So they may they set that time, um, and when the scheduler is talking to them, then they are determining. You know, how, what do they have available to them? Do they have the internet available to them? Do they have a laptop or a tablet or a smartphone that they can use? And they're also helping them set up with them um, the pre. Um, the pre-established documentation that needs to happen. So once all of that is done and the date and time are established, then before the encounter is going to occur, then the patient will receive a link to the platform where they will sign in and they will meet the dietitian to have their nutrition counseling.
1: I think I understand. I'm I'm thinking now of of some of the benefits, you know, as this is a newer experience and sort of thinking about nutrition in the old sense, you know, a one-on-one interaction in person to now being sort of telephonic or using telecommunications to deliver that same information. Can you put some boundaries around or or help me understand the benefits of telenutrition for both the provider and the patient?
0: Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of benefits to telenutrition. And one of those primary benefits is that it is convenient. Um, and during this public health emergency, you know, the patients can be at home. The pri- uh, the providers can be where they need to be to deliver the service. Um, the flexibility. Um, our dieticians are seeing that they can indeed um, see more patients. Um, they're not having, having to even travel or walk to different places in the hospital to see their patients one-on-one. And that, of course, is a benefit as well to the patients because they can be at work, take that break, have that conversation with the dietitian, and uh, be able to have that encounter. So there are a number of benefits. There are a number of benefits to people that are in vulnerable groups who don't want to go outside their home and um for those folks who have um issues with traveling and they don't have transportation then this is a good way to reach them and not burden them with one more thing to worry about how are they getting to their one-on-one visit
1: sounds like the benefits are very real i'm curious then for dietitians what is this really like so what what is telenutrition uh really like for dietitians what's their experience
0: well they are truly um Enjoying this because it gives them another avenue to reach people that they would not have reached in the past, and um, it is effective, it's efficient, um, and they're are- you know, they live in the in the areas where they work and they are passionate about nutrition. They're passionate about delivering this care and, and healthier communities. So this is just another avenue for them to reach people, um, to to educate and to share their expertise and knowledge.
1: Yeah, I think a lot about access. Access seems to be the key, and this could be a tool or platform that really enables individuals who may not be able to get to a hospital or clinic setting to get the information and get the insight that they need. So really remarkable to see where we've evolved to. I'm curious, could you tell us a little bit about what clinicians could set in place to offer a successful telenutrition experience for their patients? And and what Sodexo does to support that?
0: Well, there are some things that dietitians can do. And they really need to hone and work on competencies, um, some skills that would make it the best uh, encounter that it can be. And dietitians, you know, have to have the skills around relationship building. And it's very important that they are. You know, establishing a rapport with the patient within two to four minutes of the encounter. They have to enable um, reflective listening, um, look for and hear verbal and nonverbal cues. All of these things are incredibly important. And if they're teaching a class, um, we do have a number of dietitians teaching classes with telenutrition. And it's not just about the presentation skills. It's a little bit different because you're teaching the, a class and you're not face-to-face. And so it's important to know when to engage participants and ensure that they're engaged in the conversation and engaged in the class. So yes, there are some things that, you know, some skills that the dietitians need to hone. Now, Sodexo has a number of telehealth and telenutrition experts, um, they deliver it every single day. It's their primary job. And so we have training materials. We have experts that they can network with. And we also have a telehealth platform that has that is very robust. And um, we can help them to implement a successful program.
1: You know, Julie, I'm sitting here thinking of all of my experiences. I'm fortunate that I get to travel and see a lot of different hospitals. And I'm just thinking of the last couple of trips I've had to large cities where going 10 miles could take literally an hour and a half. And I think about the challenge in any type of patient making that commute once a week, let alone twice a week or more often. So really this access you talk about, this engagement is critical. We've talked about those types of benefits and it all makes sense. Now let's talk about what challenges clinicians or dietitians face with telenutrition, and and by that same token, what challenges might patients face using or leveraging telenutrition?
0: Well, the patient and the dietitian um, face some challenges around language barriers, but really we've overcome that, um, and we've overcome that pretty successfully because we have a three way conversation with a person who's going to translate. So. I don't know that that's so much of a challenge anymore, but it's making sure that we're aware of it um, before we're meeting together to do the nutrition counseling. Um, you know, the internet, the internet might not be stable. Um, I think that we also probably perceive that everybody in the U.S. has internet, and that's not necessarily true. So if it's an unstable internet, that can be a challenge as well. And reimbursement. Um we want to make sure that we're going to get reimbursed for the service and we want to make sure that, you know, the patient um, knows their insurance and they will, you know, have this covered for them. Around the patients themselves, um, it could be a bit of a challenge if they are not savvy with technology. And, you know, and that's okay. And, and keeping in mind that there still is the option of inpatient one-on-one um, counseling. But um, making sure that the patient, you know, feels confident with utilizing technology and utilizing a new platform can be a challenge at, at times as well. You know, we use tele not just on the outpatient or the clinic side of healthcare; care. We also use it in inpatient. And we learn, um, you know, what works and what works well and what doesn't work so well. So one of the challenges for inpatient care is that you know we need to do a nutrition-focused physical assessment on the patient, and this typically means that you are visualizing the patient, you are touching the patient. So doing that assessment can be a challenge. Um, it can be done, um, but it can be a challenge. And then there's cohorts of patients that we're finding are not as um, easy to do telenutrition with, and that would be. Alcohol and drug abuse uh, patients and trauma patients. So, just a couple of cohorts of patients that it's just probably better to be in patient and in front of them uh, to do nutrition assessment, do the nutrition counseling, or the education with them.
1: You talked a little bit about access to the internet. It, it seems like telenutrition would be a great way to improve overall access, but then how do you solve? For patients who may not have a Wi Fi connection or a laptop or device. And and I mean, what I'm seeing is hospitals are facing some very strong headwinds on the financial front. And it would seem that this is one of those areas that it takes money to make headway. So, are there funding sources that help hospitals as they're trying to build out the program? And do those funding sources extend potentially to the patient community? and help them with access. I'm, I'm curious if maybe foundations or even insurance payers are stepping in to help close that gap.
0: Well, let's answer your first question um, around access because you know it is uh, best in practice to use audio visual. And because of the public health emergency, we can use audio only, but if we think about things a little bit differently, you know, maybe there's a little bit of pre work that needs to be done by the provider. So, if we are um, trying to counsel or we're trying to deliver that healthcare to somebody who's, you know, quite a ways away from the healthcare organization like a hospital, maybe there's some things that we can do in the community. If that person ha- doesn't have internet to be able to, to do the audio visual, well, Maybe there is a place that's closer to their home that they could do it. So maybe there is a physician's office. Let's think outside the box. Maybe you know there's a food bank and they or a senior community center or the public library that might have a a private place and the internet that with a little bit of pre-work and establishing where that person could go in their local community, Um, would probably, you know, really help that person and um, developing the relationships with and partnerships um, with that local community.
1: You're right. When you talk about food banks As I think through this, I've been and volunteered for a number of food banks where I've seen some rooms that they've set aside for that kind of access. Similarly, in a lot of cities, you can get private rooms at no cost inside the public library who have a computer and internet connection so you have the security the privacy and you have the access without the cost so great great points so let's pivot a bit and talk about the patient engagement part of this i'm i'm especially interested in understanding how you broach the subject of quote unquote good nutrition when speaking with patients in a format where you can't really meet in person. You talked just a moment ago around telephonically versus visually, but even when it is visual through a telenutrition platform, it's still not quite 3D. So is is this different than when you meet in person? Are there challenges there?
0: So yes, it is different. And, and But it doesn't have to be a different talk track than what we would do for an inpatient or a um, person-to-person encounter. You know, when COVID um, came along and there were, you know, concerns about whether it was going to be effective or not. And I think that really that's kind of the premise of your question is, you know, is there differences? Is it as effective as one-on-one? And we have dietitians who do research and they have stepped up their research around telehealth and telenutrition and its effectiveness. And so there's two studies I'd like to just share with you quickly. Um, We we did a study at a hospital in Pennsylvania where a dietitian simply just called heart failure patients after their um, discharge to talk about their nutrition plan and their diet and what they should be eating. And what she found and concluded is that there was a decrease in um, readmissions for this cohort of patients. And then there's a second study that just came in last week where the dieticians studied bariatric patients. Now, bariatric patients have to have a um, a nutrition uh, consult and a series of consults prior to their surgery. And so they were doing those one-on-one, person-to-person, and then they studied the outcomes of how much weight that they lost if they did it um, via telenutrition. So they compared the two, and what they found is actually that the patients lost more weight in the telenutrition visits. So we have proven that um, telenutrition is just as effective as person-to-person. And um, we continue to to study it. When we continue to contribute to the body of science, to prove that we need to continue a telenutrition to reach people.
1: I love hearing you talk about effectiveness and really evidence of progress. You know, I think about communication. I think about reinforcement that can come through this kind of medium with more frequent communication. I think about the encouragement that really helps uh, patients along, makes me wonder about patient compliance overall, based on what you were just saying, makes me think the patient compliance, because of that frequency of contact and that access may be better. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell us about some of the things our dietitians here at Sodexo have done to connect with patients through telenutrition that you may not have been able to do in person. So kind of flipping this dynamic that how are they further leveraging this in ways they couldn't do if they were meeting in person?
0: Well, you know, typically um, when a patient goes to an outpatient center to have that face-to-face meeting with the dietician, um, they would just bring themselves, and they might bring a, a family member with them, but that's all they bring, and they, and they may bring a food journal, let's say but that's really what they're equipped with. And they're going to sit there and they're going to listen to um, and, and engage with the dietitian. In telehealth, we have the opportunity to expand that a little bit um, because we can do telehealth on our laptops. We can do telehealth on a smartphone. And so I've had dietitians describe to me, you know, the patient wasn't home. And we were having a conversation around, you know, the foods that they're purchasing. And they just simply got up, took their laptop to their pantry and their refrigerator, and had a different type of experience with them because they could actually show them, here's what I'm buying and here's what I'm eating, and give a more personalized um counseling uh with, with that patient. So, you know, we could really use, you know, our smartphones in a grocery store. You know, as a time with the dietitian to help them pick out the most healthful foods, and use it as a real-time education um, event for for that patient.
1: That makes a lot of sense, and and really that access for the caregiver to really be able to see what's happening in the home, right? So your example of the refrigerator, I can only imagine you you open up a refrigerator, anybody's refrigerator, and it's it's very telling of what your diet and patterns are. It's very easy to do a visual assessment and say, hold on, uh, that's not consistent with what we've talked about. And it really opens up the dialogue uh, a good bit more than the the in-person uh, visit. And it certainly gives much more depth to the conversation. So, Pivoting here a little bit, what what advice do you have for our listeners, in particular hospitals or clinicians, whether they're dietitians, physicians, nurses, who are either helping to establish or working to expand their current telenutrition capabilities? Do, do you mind sharing some of uh, your advice on, on what they could potentially do to Advance their program.
0: Well, I do. I th- I think there's two main things that are incredibly important, and one of them is is picking the right telehealth platform. And we have an incredible platform because um, it has a lot of different um, ways to reach the patient, and so the patient can utilize the um, platform to chat with the, um, dieticians when they're not in their one-on-one qu- conversation. Um, the patient can upload food journals. They can, um, actually have the platform and the app, you know, connect to their smartwatch. And so it can measure their exercise and then their weight. Um, and they can upload their, uh, labs like hemoglobin A1C. On the converse to that, the, the dieticians have a lot at their disposal, too. They can they can put in recipes and menus. They can um, create care plans for the uh, patient and make it very personalized. So I look at this as, you know, this is a way that we can reach um reach a patient with a number of different uh, features in that platform. And it maximizes the encounter, it maximizes the time and the difference that we can make um, with that particular patient. So that's really the number one thing I would say. And then the number two thing is certainly, you know, ensuring that you have the right dietitian for telenutrition, you know, skilling up, using that reflective listening and watching for those verbal and nonverbal cues. So, and and, and that that dietitian brings in some pretty high energy to keep those conversations going and keeping people engaged through, um, you know, telenutrition.
1: So earlier you talked about 1997, Atlanta, right? And and kind of walked us through the past and what you've seen since 1997 to present in this post-COVID environment. You talked a minute ago about wearables, things like the Apple Watch and what that, what that has really done in terms of access to real-time information for clinicians. I'm curious, so going from past to present, What's the future? Where do you see things going in this space? What really is the next frontier here and how is Sodexo playing a role in advancing telenutrition?
0: Well, I really feel like this is unlimited and we really have a a unique opportunity to take telenutrition and do things with telenutrition that we've not done before. So let's just take the current labor crisis, for instance, with healthcare organizations. Um, you know, there's a nursing shortage. Well, guess what? There's a dietitian shortage, too. And so we are currently utilizing um, telenutrition for inpatient visits. So we have dietitians in Colorado who are working with healthcare organizations in Florida to deliver inpatient care. Now, I am not, you know, advocating that a telenutrition visit or a, a distance dietitian would replace an in-person dietitian. But in rural areas where we're having the labor shortage, this is a solution that Cedex is bringing to the table to be able to continue to deliver care to meet regulatory compliance. And be able to make a difference um, with our healthcare partners. So that's one way. You know, Sodexo also partners with um, with community organizations around social determinants of health. And there is a true need to be able to work with patient, uh, people um, who are um, food insecure. Being able to utilize telenutrition to educate them. Um, is incredibly important, and you know we're looking to help these people uh, sustain and um, to progress. And telenutrition has a role that can play in that. Um, other healthcare organizations they they are implementing um, hospital at home programs, and hospital at home is really they are taking the hospital to the patient's home. And our dietitians are playing a role and doing nutrition assessments. Um, utilizing a tablet, or and or the patient's smartphone in their home, uh, to deliver that care. I really think that um, with um, nutrition care and classes and chronic illness, um, diabetes, renal disease, that we will continue to add the amount of classes that we have and really expand doing classes through. Um, uh, Telenutrition—it's um, very su- successful where we do it today. So, those are the type of um, avenues that Sodexo is doing to bring solutions. And you know, our dietitians are quite uh, innovative and they are progressive. And we're going to continue to find those unique and different avenues to reach patients because we're passionate about, you know, powering human care. We're passionate about uh, healthy communities and finding any way that we can to make a difference.
1: I love how you use the phrase powering human care because really this is about enabling better access to care for all patients. It's really around making an impact. I really appreciate you helping us understand the past, the present and the future of telenutrition. Thank you so much for this discussion, Julie. It was really enriching. I'm, I'm truly grateful for your time. Your insights, and all you and your peers are doing to help build awareness for telenutrition and its best practices. Now, for our listeners, if you're hoping for more information on telenutrition, rest assured we are continuing to develop additional content to help support you. I encourage you to Google Sodexo Nutrition and Wellness Center or go directly to wellness.sodexomyway.com. There's a tremendous amount of information out there that will help educate and help support your needs in this space. Thank you for joining us. And Julie, thank you again for this insightful conversation. Thank you, David.